Hi, and welcome to the podcast ministry of New Life Church in Springfield, Ohio. We hope that the transformative truths of God's Word impact, challenge, and bless you. I want to say thank you to Pastor Joe for this opportunity to be able to uh, bring God's Word to you tonight. I'm excited about what God is doing at New Life Church. It's awesome to see the great things that are transpiring here. I enjoyed the service this morning thoroughly. The presence of God was so awesome, and, and the, the worship was great. The baptismal service was great. The preaching was pretty good, you know, from the pastor. And uh, we really appreciate uh, them, and also we're excited about what God is doing in this place and also what I know He is doing in your life. Uh, and the good news is, is God is up to something. He's working and moving in our day. Lives are being changed. Commitments are being made. And I truly believe the best is yet to come for this church and for his church. Because God's just getting started. And I'm looking forward to the great revival that we're seeing unfold across our world today. If you believe it, say amen one more time with me. All right. Well, I've got more amens in this sermon than I do at my church. So I'm good. I'm in Arkansas. I don't know if that means anything to you, but uh, country folks are a little quiet, but I'm excited about what God's doing in Gurdon, Arkansas. If you don't know where that is, get your GPS out. It might be able to find it. Uh, we're in a town of about 2,200 people, but the good news is that God cares about Gurdon, Arkansas, and he's called us there, and we're excited to see what's unfolding uh, even there. Amen. Well, I'm going to get into the Word of God tonight in several different places, so you just be ready to jump around. We're going to be focusing in on Zechariah chapter 3 here in just a minute. And as, as we were just mentioning that God is working, God is moving, God's doing great things in many lives, and I'm sure He's doing great things in yours. But every time God starts to work, the enemy gets upset for some reason. And so tonight, I want us to look at how the enemy comes, and I'm going to title this message, When the Accuser Comes to Your Door, When He Comes to Speak into Your Ear. And uh, I believe God wants to talk to someone tonight that maybe there's something you're dealing with that you can't seem to get past. The old enemy keeps speaking to you, trying to hinder you from moving forward. But I believe God's word wants to speak in your life tonight. We're not here to glorify the enemy in any way, but we're here to be victorious over the enemy. And so uh, here, here this evening, I'm going to open God's word and, and try to uh, teach you from his word how to battle against the enemy who hates God who hates you, whose only mission is very simple, is to destroy everything that God loves, and that includes you. So we're going to be victorious over that tonight. Uh, let's start out this evening reading Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. And it's, you know, it's good to know that no matter how great our enemy is, our God's greater. And he's, he's working mightily. Ephesians 6 and verse 12 tells us this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, the one you're sitting in next to, that's not your enemy. It's not your spouse. It's not your siblings. It's not your parents. It's not your boss at work. Even though I know you're sure sometimes he is the devil. I know you probably have a boss like that. Maybe none of you do. It's not that person. So, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but... Our battle is against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. 
In other words, there's more to this world than what we see. There's a spiritual realm uh, where their battles are taking place, spiritual battles. And it goes on and says, this battle is against spiritual hosts of wickedness or evil spirits in the heavenly places. There's an enemy out there trying to fight you. He's trying to fight me. You know, our enemy has more names than we could uh, take the time to go through. He's known as the devil. He's known as Lucifer. He's known as the accuser of the brethren. He's known as the destroyer. He's known as the prince of darkness. There's a lot of names that we can come across in the word of God that name who our enemy is. But tonight what I, I want us to focus on is our enemy as the accuser. How he comes to accuse us to God. And we're going to look at different uh, places in scripture, how the enemy does that. But what I want us to understand is that Satan is the accuser who attacks your heart with accusations. He's coming to try to hinder your heart and what God's wanting to do in your life. His purpose is to take you out before you ever get started. He wants to get you so discouraged that you abandon the call of God, that you abandon the work of God in your life, and you reach out for something else. Now, I was thinking about this in my life in a personal sense. The different times where I've encountered the enemy in that way, and I remember as a young man feeling the call of God to preach, and I was very timid. I did preach my first message at seven or eight years old, and actually at that time, I, you know, it was easier for me. I was, a, I was at a uh, Christian school, and I get out in front of chapel one morning, and everybody's looking at me kind of like you are tonight, you know, and I didn't know what to do about it, so I just stuck my tongue out at everyone, and uh, I broke the ice, and I got through it, you know, through all three minutes of it, as I preached a message on roadblocks on the way to hell, you know, that was my message, my very first message. Anyways, well, you know, time goes by. We move off to a foreign land, Missouri, and then we end up in Phoenix, Arizona. And there's years, six, seven years, you know, I haven't preached. And we end up back in Missouri and, and uh, another chapel. The principal gets up and says, Andrew, I want you to come up here and just lead testimony service. You know, all you have to do is get up and says, anybody got a testimony tonight or this afternoon or whatever. I just stood there and stared at him. So terrified, you know, my knees were knocking, the sweat was pouring down my face. I just looked at it like this. Finally, the principal comes up and taps me on the uh, shoulder and said, Andrew, you can sit down now. <laughs> you know what the enemy did? He started accusing me. He said, Andrew, you know, you think you're called to preach? You can't even talk. You think you're going to be a man of God? You can't even man up to ask someone if they have a testimony. You think God's going to do anything in your life? You can't even do the simplest task. You can't talk without stuttering. There's no way that God can do anything in your life. You might as well give up on that. Let me tell you something here tonight. Is the enemy's goal is to take you out before you ever get started. His goal is to stop you before God does what he wants to do in your life. I just tell you as a church, what is his goal? Uh, to, as he targets New Life Church, it is to stop what God is wanting and going to do. That is exactly how he works. I was uh, reading a book here a few years ago. It's written by Jim Sabala. Everyone know the, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New York City? A uh, great, large, powerful church. And you're probably familiar with the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir and you think about all the thousands and thousands that attend their services every week. But they started out with just about 12 or 13 people. 
In the early stages of the church, uh, the pastor, you know, talked about, you know, how hard it was and the discouragement they faced and the struggle they went through. And he said, all of a sudden, God sent them some help. This young couple came along and they were really going to help them and be an encouragement to them. But just about a month or two in, that couple calls them over to their house and says, Pastor, we want to talk to you. And he's like, man, this is great. Maybe God's dealing with them about special ministry. And well, when he gets there, they sit the pastor and his wife down and said, we just want to tell you that God has spoken to us. And you're not qualified to be the pastor of this church. We think you should resign. God has called us here to pastor this church. And uh, Jim Sabala, you know, you see where they are now. But he said, back then, he said, I heard the enemy whispering in my ear. Maybe they're right. Maybe God hasn't called you here. Maybe God doesn't want to do something here in New York City. Or maybe he does and you're just not the right person. You're just not cut out for this. And he said it went on for about three or four days. And he said during that time I'd been fasting and praying and seeking the face of God. And he said I was just having pity party after pity party. You know, every day getting up thinking, well, I'm, I guess I'm not good enough. And God really hasn't called me. And he said, I think it was the third or fourth day, he said, God just kind of slapped me. And he began to speak something into me. He said it was just like an audible voice from heaven. Or, you know, a voice that maybe I didn't hear, but it was so direct to my soul. I knew it was the voice of God. As he began to declare to me, I have called you here, and I've ordained you to pastor this church, and I'm going to do great things here. What's taking place is the enemy is trying to stop what I'm about to do. And he got up. He said, I went and confronted that couple and asked them to leave. He said in the months and the weeks ahead, God began to pour out a revival in our church. He said, and every time I look back, I see where I could have let the accuser stop me from doing what God had called me to do. Why? Because the enemy's job is to stop you from ever fulfilling your potential in the kingdom of God. His desire is to hinder you in your walk with God. So this evening, I'm going to look at Zechariah. I'm not going to. Uh, we're going to read about six or seven verses in here. We're going to dive into this, and I'm going to do my best to uh, get through this quickly. But I believe there's something in here that, that God wants to speak to us here. And, and as, as I was getting ready for this, you know, it reminded me of the scripture in Isaiah 54, where the Word of God tells us that no weapon that's formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against thee in judgment or rises to accuse you, you shall condemn. See, the enemy, he has a purpose, but also I want us to understand that God has a plan. So uh, tonight, I'm going to take a minute. We're going to look at the accuser. We're going to talk about the devil for a minute. We're not going to glorify him. We're going to look at how we can defeat him. And in Revelations 12, verse 10, before we get to the book of Zechariah, it reads this. It says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of the brethren who accuses before our God day and night has been hurled down or has been cast down. We see a, a picture unfolding in heaven of Satan as he accuses you and I before God. And actually the word here where it says the accuser of the brethren, the accuser, the Greek word for accuser is diablos, which means devil or adversary or accuser, the one who accuses so just understand something, and we're about to unfold a story here in Zechariah, but before God ever accuses you, He first tries to de deceive you. 
Before he accuses you, he's going to first bring his lies like he did to Adam and Eve. What did he do to Adam and Eve? As they were walking in the garden one day, he, he says, hey, how come you can't eat the fruit of that tree? Well, God said we can't. Did God really say that? Is that really what God says? You, you know, maybe he said maybe you shouldn't. Or, or maybe he said something else. And before long, what happens? Adam and Eve partake of the fruit. What happens after uh, Satan deceived him? He starts accusing them. You look what you did. God's never going to have you back. You know, you've gone too far. You messed up now. God's going to write you off. And, you know, that's the same way the enemy works with us. He seeks to deceive us, and then he comes to accuse us. And so as we get into the, the, the text this, this evening, Zechariah 3, we have a picture here unfolding that I think is very interesting. It's a powerful prophetic and a personal text to Zechariah. Because he's having a heavenly vision. The setting is a courtroom. Now, I don't know if maybe you watch, uh, it depends what your age is, Matlock, Perry Mason, Law and Order. Maybe you watch Judge Judy Steele. I don't know. Whatever you see, what kind of courtroom you're accustomed to, uh, there's a courtroom setting. God is the judge. Now, Joshua, it's not Joshua the servant of Moses and this is the Joshua, the high priest, and he's the defendant, and Satan is the prosecutor or the accuser. So as we, we set this background here. We see here that Satan, the prosecutor, is trying to prove Joshua's guilt. He's trying to get Joshua thrown out of office. Um, he's trying to, to stop what God's doing in Joshua's life, and, and he appears to have a case because he points out that his robes are filthy. Um, and for a high priest, this was a big deal. They were to be clean and they were to be pure. So we pick up in, in verse 1 of Zechariah chapter 3, and it reads this. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now this is a, a Christophany, and it's an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Not in his physical form as God, but we see him in, in this form. It's like the fourth man in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So it says... You know, he saw Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him or to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? In other words, have not I chosen to uh, save him from judgment. He's making a point here. And then he goes on and he, he states the truth about Joshua. It says, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Now I want to ask you a question. Have you ever went to an event before where you were underdressed and it was like you felt awkward? Well, I have nightmares about showing up to church in my PJs. Have you ever had those type of nightmares? <laughs> Now, I'm a pastor, so that's a big deal. So it's like, you know, that's a nightmare. It's like, what, what's going on here? <laughs> Hope it never happens, right? <laughs> Maybe you've done that. Maybe you were invited to a thing. You thought it was just uh, dinner with friends, and you get there, and it's a formal event. And it's like, this is awkward. Well, think about this situation as it unfolds. Not only is Joshua underdressed, he's in filthy garments, his clothes are covered in dirt or whatever you want to say. They're, they're, they're sinful garments. There's something that is to be ashamed of. And now he's standing before God and Satan's accusing him. 
He's pouring out all the shortcomings in his life, and he's pitching his case against Joshua. You know, and I think all of us, if we'll be honest, we know what that's like. Maybe the enemy's done that in your ear. You know, he's letting you know about all the things you messed up on. You've given your heart to Christ, and you're trying to follow Jesus, and, and he'll come and tell you, you remember that time you stole that? You remember the time that you cheated on that test or you, you uh, disobeyed or it could be much worse. You cheated on your spouse. You, you were doing things that you know you shouldn't have been doing. Don't you remember that? And the accuser comes and I don't know what it is for you, but I know you can fill in the blank. He can remind you of what, whatever it is and he brings up those things at time that you took the, the God's name in vain or you know, yelled at the kids. Whatever the, the struggle might be in your life, that secret hidden sin. And when, when he does, you feel dirty, kind of like Joshua did. You, you look at yourself and recognize, man, my robes are filthy. There's a sense of shame and guilt and unworthiness. And the accuser continues to hurl those accusations at you just like he does at Joshua. And there's a shame that comes with it. But before I proceed anymore with our enemy, the accuser, I want to take a moment tonight. and I want us to look at the good news. I want to remind you who Jesus is. Now, Satan is the accuser, but Jesus is our advocate. The enemy comes to accuse, but the good news for you and I, hey, we're not perfect. We have some spots. We've made mistakes. But I read in 1 John 2 and verse 1, it says, My little children... These things I write to you so that you may not sin. (laughs) But if you sin, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate, one who pleads our case, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You have an accuser this evening, but you also have an advocate, and it is Jesus Christ, the one who is pure, the one who is holy, the one who's never broken one law, who's never made one mistake, who's never come up short once. He is your lawyer. He is your advocate before the Father. And I'm glad tonight to know I have that kind of advocate. How about you? I couldn't plead my case. I don't have anything worthy of defending. But the good news is because Jesus Christ died for me, all he has to do is plead the sacrifice that his blood has provided for us. I'm glad tonight that we have that type of advocate. So we see here that the enemy hurls his accusations at Joshua. He hurls them at you. But the good news is Jesus is our defense. And we get to verse 4 in Zechariah chapter 3. Says, then he, the angel, answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him or from Joshua. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. I want you to think about that. Have you ever been blessed with something you don't deserve? I don't know about you, but I've been blessed a lot of times over and over again. I hear people saying, you know what? I wish I'd get what I deserve. No, you don't. 
If we got what we would deserve, what would it? It'd be death. The wages of sin is death. If we got what we deserve, what would we get? Rejection. Because our sins demand rejection. But thanks be to God, He's given us something. Not because we deserve it, but because He has made it available to us through His sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And this is what Joshua is offered here. He's given something that is not what he deserves. It's a great and abundance, a wonderful gift from God. It's not because he was good, but it's because God was good. It's not because you're good. It's because God is good that he's blessed your life. But as we look at this, it's, it's really is a perfect parallel with the story we find, a parable told by Jesus. The story of the prodigal son. We know that this young man comes to his father and he says, Father... I'm sick of living in your house. You know, I want my inheritance now. I know you're not dead, but I want you to give me my portion because I want to go enjoy it because I think you're going to live forever. And I I want to have a party right now. So we find that the father gives this, this guy his portion, the prodigal son. What do we find out? That the prodigal son, what's he do? He goes into a far country He goes somewhere that he knows he can have a good time. He spends everything that he has on riotous living. He's just having a party day and night. He's got friends everywhere. But he finally runs out of money, and this guy recognizes that he's lost everything. And so he tries to find a job, and he ends up in a pig's pen, just slopping the pigs and and just trying to keep the pigs happy. But the Scripture tells us that all of a sudden he comes to his right mind. And he wakes up and he, he says, what am I doing here when the servants in my father's house are doing better off than me? And so we find in the story that he leaves the pig pen and he begins to run to his father's house. And he goes to his father's home. And as he's going, he's thinking, you know what, what can I say? You know, I'm going to tell my father, you know, father, I know I don't deserve to be your son anymore. Just make me your servant. Yeah, make me your servant. And I'm sure he thought of every scenario, and by the time it was done, he was willing to ask for the lowest servant job on the totem pole because he recognized they had it better than he did. And So he's, he's making his thoughts and preparing his words to say to his father. But the Scripture tells us his father saw him afar off. What did the father do when he saw his son? Did, yeah, he ran to him. He didn't stop. And scream at him and say, what are you doing coming back to my house? You piece of whatever junk you are. You know, you wasted everything I gave you. You think you're going to come back to my house? Is that what the father did? What did he do? He ran. He hugged him. He wept upon his neck. And he looked at his son, which was clothed in what? If he'd been in a pig pen, what did he look like? He was covered in poo, you know, uh, as the saying goes. He was covered, he stunk, he looked bad, he smelled bad. And so his father looks at him and doesn't just say, okay, this is what you are. But he stops for a minute and he takes off his robe. He removes his sons and he puts on his robe that was wealthy, that was valuable, that was clean, and that was pure. And he turned and he looked to those that no doubt were running to see what was going on and said, hey, my son which was gone, he's come home again. And, and when they looked at him, and when the father looked at him, he no longer saw robes of unrighteousness and filth and, and sin, but what he saw was his robe of righteousness. 
What I want you to know tonight is no matter where you've been, no matter what the enemy reminds you of every morning, whether it's a sin you made or just a shortcoming he's making up, when it comes to it, when my heavenly Father looks at me, if I've been uh, repentant and I've come before God recognizing my sin, when he sees me, he doesn't see my sin, but he sees his son's righteousness. He sees the holiness of Jesus Christ upon me, and he doesn't judge me according to what I deserve, but according to his tender mercies that are made possible by Jesus Christ. See, when the accuser comes to your door, he shows no mercy. He's not concerned about you. His only concern is to destroy you because you are something that God loves. So we get to Zechariah 3, verse 5 and 7, and it unfolds that story. It says, and I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and, and they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. This is Zechariah 3, and we're, we're picking up in verse 5. It says, and the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua. And notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, you're on probation. You're going to have to earn it back. You've messed up. You're limited. And what? Notice what he said. He said, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep my command, then you shall also judge my house, and likewise have charge of my courts. I will give you places to walk among these who stand here. Saying, Joshua, I'm not done with you. Joshua, I'm not finished with you. The angel we see ordered the removal of the filthy garments and he put on the holy ones. He said, return to the temple. Keep serving God. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I look at this story and I just wanted to, to speak to someone tonight. I don't know who you are, but you're living under a cloud of accusation the enemy has brought against you. It may be from years so long ago that you don't hardly recall, but the enemy has a way of remembering things that we want to forget. Maybe it's just shortcomings in your life. Maybe it's not sin. Maybe it's just inability. And the enemy just wants to keep reminding you about those things. He wants to keep bringing them up to you, speaking them into your ear, telling you that God doesn't have a purpose for your life, that he's finished with you, or, hey, because of your past, this is all there is to it. Uh, And what I want you to get tonight is that God is not done with you. He is just getting started. It reminds me of the scripture that says, He that hath begun a good work in you is going to bring it to completion. He's not finished. He's just at the beginning. The best is yet to come for every single one of you tonight if you do what the Lord said. He said, If you will follow me and you will keep my commands. If you will have a heart turned to me, there's nothing that God cannot do in your life. And you know, for you, you may look at whatever part of life you're in and say, hey, I'm at this stage of life and everything that I believe God spoke to me has not yet transpired. The enemy wants to tell you it's finished, it's over. I'm here to tell you he doesn't get the last word. He's just a liar. He doesn't get the last word. He's just the accuser of the brethren. And the last I checked, if the devil's telling you something, it's more than likely not true. So what do you do? You believe the opposite. And what do you do? You decide to believe what God has said. You decide, instead, you, you begin to take a hold of what His Word has declared. And there's just something I, I want to get straight. And, and I'm going to finish up here real quick tonight. But two things. When the enemy comes to accuse, 
Uh, he brings guilt. He brings a sense of regret and remorse. But when the Spirit comes, He doesn't come to accuse. He comes to convict. And if there's sin in your life, what is He going to do? He's not going to just bring guilt and regret. He's going to deal with you so He can restore you. He's going to point out your sin, not to write you off, but to make you new again. He'll deal with that shortcoming, not so, you know, He can push you in the closet and say it's finished, but so He can say, I've just started what I'm doing in your life. And if you'll, you'll submit to me, I'm going to do things that you can never even imagine. So if the, the accuser is coming to your door, and I'm sure he is tonight, and maybe he, he points out your failures, saying you should be ashamed, what do you need to do? Well, I think we find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, for casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So when the enemy accuses you and says, you're not good enough, you're a failure, you should be ashamed, what do you say? Say, wait just a second. <laughs> I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things have passed away. I am made new. When he whispers in your ear, God is punishing you because of the mistakes of your past or because of whatever it is he begins to throw in your ear. I want you to begin to remember what you know about your heavenly father, that he loves you. That he cares for you just like the prodigal son's father did. That he sees you and he, he, he loves and wants to embrace you. And he only gives good gifts to his children. And so when you recognize that, you begin to realize those whispers in your ear. They're not from your heavenly father, but they're from the accuser of the brethren. And so what do you do? You begin to go to the word of God. And you begin to find what it says. When it, and it tells us that what Satan meant for evil... God can turn it around for the good. When you begin to realize that, you begin to uh, be able to say like the Apostle Paul did, I count it pure joy when I go through difficulties and trials because I know God's doing something to me the devil can't stop. When the accuser comes and, and he begins to, to tell you that, you know, after what you did, God's not going to come through for you. Your past is too bad. There's no hope for you you begin to realize that God's word says something about the anxiety you're going through when he said, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. When the word of God says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. When the accuser comes to you, he says, God isn't there. He's disappointed. He doesn't love you. I go back to the word of God where it says no. But in all these things we are made more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I'm convinced that neither death nor life, we could add in there neither sickness or financial difficulty. None of the things that I might be facing right now can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And I begin to realize when the word of God said, he said, I'll never leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And I takes me back to Isaiah 54. We started off with here this evening. Now no weapon formed against you will succeed. 
you will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. Why? Not because you've got great words, but because you serve a great God. Because it's not about my righteousness, but it's about His sacrifice that makes me holy. My robe is like Joshua's. It's covered in dirt. It's covered in sin. But thanks be to God, when the Father sees me, He doesn't see my sin. He sees His Son. And because of Jesus Christ, yes, I may have something the enemy can accuse me of. He may have grounds to bring accusations against me. But I plead the blood. So when the accuser comes, what do you do? The verse we read says, take every thought and bring it into captivity and make it obedient to the word of God. Make it obedient to the voice of Christ. The enemy may say this about you, but I want you to know the word of God says something different. He said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Amen. I want us to stand together across this place, and I just want you to take a moment to think about maybe what the enemy's been accusing you of. If you would bow your head, close your eyes across this auditorium here today. And maybe right now, maybe as you walked in the door this evening, the enemy was whispering in your ear. He kept bringing up that mistake. He kept pointing out that you never attained that goal or you never achieved that desire for God. I want you to stop. Instead of listening to him, I want you to do what the Lord did to Satan turn around and say, I rebuke you. <laughs> it's kind of like Jesus did to Peter. I rebuke you, Satan. Get thou behind me. I'm not listening to what you have to say. Brother, I'm going to take God's word. Remember, the devil knows you by your name, but calls you by your sin. But the good news is, is God knows you. He knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. He says, come. I'm going to show you what it means to be forgiven.